Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. What would happen if you ate nothing but potatoes for a year? Believe it or not, today's guest did just that. He's a former junior Australian champion marathon kayaker and also a high school PE teacher who embarked upon a quest to overcome food addiction, anxiety, and depression by eating only potatoes for an entire year. If you've ever struggled with cravings, moderation, or food addiction, this episode is for you. At first, I was not sure what to think about all of this, but trust me, there is a lot of wisdom that today's guest has for you. Um, especially, you know, one thing that comes up is uh, for some folks, they have trouble with moderation, right? Uh, if you have a whole chocolate bar, can you eat just one square? Uh, an interesting thing that comes up is, is I kind of can. I, I have that personality, I guess, uh, which is different from <laughs> uh, from a lot of people out there, including my wife, is, is not as much of a um, someone who can moderate like that. So if you feel like, you know, you eat that one slice of pizza or that, that few chips, then you have to eat the whole bag, then definitely pay attention to this episode. <laughs> you don't have to eat only potatoes for a year. It's really not about the potatoes. But listen to what he has to say. Uh, there, there's a lot of great advice in there. So before we get to the show, here's a review that came in from, <laughs> I hope I say this right, H. Deitzler, who says, thank you, Abel, for publishing this book. As an RN in the Western medical community, I can't tell you enough how much this information is needed to be spread. You did so in an honest and factual way that was enjoyable to listen to and easy to understand. Society's understanding of nutrition is so clouded by the media and large corporation marketing that it's deceiving even the medical community and it's having a hard time sorting it out. I've listened to your podcast for a while now and love how honest you are and that you are not corrupted by the bottom line. Your integrity is what brought me to read this book and become better for myself and family. I've learned so much through people like you and some of the folks you bring on your show. H. Deitzler. Well, thank, uh, the first time I read this, honestly, I'm going to be honest here. And I'm not a crier, but the first time I read this, it made me cry a little bit. Um, my mom, of course, is a nurse practitioner and uh, herbalist and, and also an author. So for me, I've, I've kind of been in that world for a while. My mom has always straddled the Western medical uh, community that often she would have to uh, work in and was educated in, um, but work in to, to pay the bills and, and the kind of alternative healing community because those can be very different things. So, so to your point, I, I really do my best to bridge the gap and hopefully make it accessible to folks who are in the more professional uh, side of things like, like you are. So thank you for listening, and I'm really glad that it's working for you. Now, if you're watching this or listening, you took your health into your own hands, you're feeling better, shedding fat, uh, feel like you have a bit more energy than you did before, I'd love to hear about it. Let me know. Even if things are going poorly, let me know about that, and we'll see if we can help you out. The easiest way to get in touch is just to email me at able at fatburningman.com or go to fatburningman.com, sign up for the newsletter, and then hit reply. And uh, I try to read every single one of those emails, and I always love hearing from you guys. I always learn something from you. But uh, now if you're curious, this is something that um, 
You may have caught wind of, but you also may have missed. When Allison and I moved up to the Rocky Mountains here in Colorado, we were without internet for about eight months. No Wi-Fi, no Ethernet, uh, and so we had to get pretty <laughs> pretty clever with how we worked everything out. But um, the good news is while we were kind of off the grid, we were um, also traveling and learning how to produce virtual reality and 360 videos. So I've made literally hundreds of uh, virtual reality music videos, uh, nature videos. We just got some uh, a beautiful buck and his lady, and it looked like their uh, their babies came by this morning. And uh, oh man, it's just if you haven't tried, especially seeing some of the outdoor wilderness stuff in augmented reality with your phone, or uh, which most phones can do, or uh, you know even better with the goggles like Oculus or or Vive, then. Man, check it out. It is pretty cool. Since there are 360 VR videos, you can actually look around the entire room by moving your phone or tablet around or clicking the screen or dragging around depending on where you're watching it or you know, if you're wearing the goggles just by looking around. And it really does feel like you're there in, in a totally unique and crazy way. But uh, Allison is filming in the background for many of the music videos and you can always look around the room and uh, catch her diving behind the beanbag or doing a little dance or something like that. So our friends and some people in our community, some listeners say, have uh, written in and said that uh, they've been having a lot of fun playing the Where's Allison game. So she always makes a cameo in one way or another. And also, I'll, I'll just say that a lot of the videos that are music, if you see me in the room with all the electronic equipment, it's a little wacky, but it's a technique called live looping which allows me to record my voice and play a whole bunch of different instruments and record them in real time and then loop it to essentially be a one-man band. Uh, so I've, I've already done over 100 improvised tunes that are kind of made up on the spot in virtual concerts. We have a bunch of uh, free live streams, which will be you know virtual live concerts that we'll be able to do with our new internet and our new uh, some new cool video gear that we have. So... Hopefully some of these videos will put a smile on your face or, or get you grooving around a little bit. So for the Adventures with Able VR series, we've been sharing uh, virtual tours and, and, and nature hikes to watch and explore in 360, including Yellowstone, Grand Teton's Dinosaur National Monument, a volcano in New Mexico. Who knew? We hiked right down into the crater of it. The real-life Oregon Trail, uh, America's Stonehenge, and tons more. Even a 1,400-foot effigy of a snake in Ohio. Just head on over to ablejames.com to catch a brand new 360 video every single day for the next year. And if you'd like to support this free show and uh, all of our music videos and free virtual tours, head on over to wildsuperfoods.com to get your own health-boosting goodies. <laughs> when you uh, subscribe to the subscribe and save option, you also get free access to our Fat Burning Tribe coaching community. So uh, if you haven't ever checked that out, then be sure you do. Um, go to wildsuperfoods.com. We'll hook you right up. All right, on to the show with Andrew Taylor. Coming all the way from Australia, we're chatting about overcoming food addiction, how to practice moderation, especially if you're someone who can't practice moderation in normal life, why we don't need to be afraid of carbs, why potatoes are actually surprisingly nutritious, and tons more. Let's go hang out with Andrew. All right, folks, Andrew Taylor's story went viral when the 36-year-old Aussie dad had embarked upon a quest to eat only potatoes for an entire year. Armed with a degree in applied science and human movement, 
and a fascination with all things nutrition related. The former high school phys ed and health teacher now coaches others through food addiction. And we are actually somehow introduced by one of my old friends from high school. So Andrew, thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you very much for having me. It's always nice to, uh, to be on a show that I've, uh, I've been a fan of before. It doesn't happen that often because I don't listen to uh, many podcasts, but I have listened to yours. So it's cool to now be on it. <laughs> Thanks. That is really cool. And you, you're a first uh, for me as well in terms of like you're in your car, not, not only in your yeah. car, but across <laughs> the world right now, yeah. which, which is pretty radical and cool. And you showed me, uh, I don't know if you can now if, or if you're set up, but uh, you're at the beach, obviously. It's a beautiful. Yeah, yeah, beautiful I can, beach. I can uh, just, you set up on a tripod that's attached to my steering wheel, but I can take you off and Look there you that. go. There's the beach. Oh, <laughs> making me jealous. Yeah. Just for the, for the listeners, I, I, uh, I live in a very small two bedroom apartment and, uh, and it's, it's, uh, 7am in Australia at the moment. So, uh, it's not too early to be up, but it's, a, it's too early to be up and doing this at home and waking up the rest of my family. So yeah, I, I'm out. <laughs> well, it's, it's so great. And you look like a totally normal, high energy, vibrant guy, but, um, take us back a little bit in time, uh, for folks who might not be aware of your story, um, it wasn't always quite like this. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a couple of years ago, well, nearly three years ago now, uh, before I started my Spud Fit Challenge, I call it, that year of eating only potatoes. Uh, yeah, life was very, very different for me. I was clinically depressed, clinically uh, anxious, and uh, yeah, I was just in a really, really low point in my life and felt very hopeless and out of control. And, uh, and yeah, I was in the bottom of a, a deep, dark pit and it felt like there was just no way out. And that's where I was going to be living for the rest of my life. And uh, yeah, I didn't know, you know, this is actually about now, three years ago was when I started, when the idea for this whole thing came to me and I started researching to see if it was, if it would be a safe idea. But yeah, I, I had no idea at this point, three years ago, how my life would change just in a matter of months. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't realize that until just talking to you now. But it, it was it was about halfway through November uh, that that I uh, that I started that I, the idea came to me and I started researching. So yeah, it, it was cool. Reading through your book too, there there were a few lines that really like struck me. Um, one, you said that you were you were crying almost every day, but didn't feel emotion. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it was confusing to me at the time as well, because, you know, in hindsight, I was depressed for a couple of years before I was diagnosed. And it was weird because it wasn't like I was constantly feeling sad, you know, that my idea of depression was someone that was just constantly walking around feeling miserable all the time. And I did have I did have that. I wasn't this happy, sort of upbeat kind of guy that I am now. And I did have moments where I was just feeling miserable and stuff, but my overriding emotion, emotional state, I guess, was total indifference to life. You know, it was, there was no, I think most people wouldn't have picked up on my depression because I was, you know, I would still laugh at people's jokes and whatever, but it wasn't laughing because I was happy and Mm. felt like, oh, this is, I'm having a great time. It was just picking up on social cues and, okay, now's the time where I'm supposed to laugh, so I better laugh just so that I'm fitting in with what's going on rather than laughing because I'm enjoying myself, you know, that sort of thing. And um, 
And then, yeah, I did have pretty much every day there was at least one point in time where I would feel like uh, there's I'm going to cry now. There's some tears coming and I would go and find a private spot, usually the toilet or the bathroom, you know, a spot where I could be on my own and I would cry for a bit and then I would go back and go about my day again. And I was I didn't really I was like, why is this happening? I don't understand why I'm crying all the time. I'm not sad. Like, what's going on here? It didn't make sense to me. And, um, yeah, in hindsight, it made sense. But at the time, it was just confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading just a few weeks ago, like a definition of, of what it feels like to be depressed. And uh, I thought it was so interesting. It was, it said, basically, it's a inability to see freshness in life inability to see like the vibrancy of life and i was like wow in a sentence that kind of yeah i get that a lot more than feeling sad all the time isn't fair that's that's not what it is it's more just like this is it like this is all there is right and feeling kind of nothing um but at the same time you, you were a um uh, an athlete right and then you started putting on a bunch of weight and kind of lost that identity and the, the ability to do the things that you used to do right like um I can't remember what your weight was at its at its highest, but you were you literally were like a different person, right? Yeah, well, I, I was a junior um, elite level kayaking champion. I've won Australian championships, and I, I still hold a couple of records. You really? know, twenty years twenty years later, after wow. I set them, I still hold a couple of records in Australia. And um, yeah, so I was I was quite a high level athlete, and really, I think. I was, I always had weight problems. And even as an elite athlete, I was always, you know, five to 10 pounds overweight, which is not much, but as an athlete, that's a lot. Sure. And I really think that was probably the difference between me being one of the best in Australia to being maybe one of the best in the world. Mm. Um, you know, obviously there's no way to know. I can't turn back time and change things, but I feel like that was the difference. And, um, and I could just never quite get on top of that last five to 10 pounds. And yeah, as I slowed down my athletic feats and you know my training and all that, I, I used to train at my height. I was training four to six hours a day, and then wow. you know I stopped being so competitive and I, I toned it down a bit to two hours a day, <laughs> which uh, you know is a lot for most people. But for me, it meant that I started putting on weight because I kept eating the same way as I did before, right. and then you know I started putting on weight, not heaps, but I was getting more overweight, and then. Basically, when my first boy, who's now five years old, when he was born, I basically just stopped altogether. You know, there was, as most parents can relate to, there was no sleep happening um, and there was no time to do anything else. And even if I did have time, I was just too tired because there was no sleep happening. And, you know, I did try to eat. I wasn't very good at eating healthy, but I did try um, before that. But then once I was suddenly there was no training happening. There was no sleep happening. And the little motivation that I had to try to eat well, that was gone. So I was just eating junk all the time, not training. And yeah, that was then I, then my weight really ballooned and I got up to 336 pounds, wow. which, which is, uh, 152 kilos. We, we use kilos in Australia, but yeah, that was, I, I got big. Yeah. <laughs> what happens uh, to your mind when it's like you were an extremely talented athlete and then all of a sudden it's just like, like you said, you start not getting sleep and then you start ballooning a bit. But like, how do your habits change so much? Like, how do you lose the ones 
you, you probably still liked moving your body, but you stopped doing it as much. Like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, how does that downward trend keep going down? And, and why do you think that is? Yeah, well, first of all, it's weird that it, I never really lost the my identity as an athlete. It's really strange. You know, I, I still felt like I was an elite athlete. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird. And like, I, I still walked around telling myself that I was an athlete, even though I was the furthest thing from an athlete that you could be. I just, I never accepted the fact that I was not an athlete. I, and I still am not, I don't think of myself in, as an athlete anymore. And part of my transformation is that I accepted that. And, uh, and I'm working on becoming an athlete again, but, uh, but yeah, at the time I was like, I was a 336 pound man who still thought of himself as an athlete for some strange reason. I did, you're right. I did still like moving my body and I still liked, um, exercising and part of there's, there's a whole different range of factors, but I think one of them was that, you know, I probably could have found the time to do, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour a day. But to me, it didn't feel like a training session unless I did two hours or three oh, hours, yeah. you know. I totally get that. And it felt like as an, as an athlete who was used to like training hard and long, it was like, well, if I'm not going to go and do a, what I call a proper training session, then what's the point? So, mm. you know, I was sort of deluded in that way. And yeah, I sort of just... Yeah, if, if I can't be extremely fit, then there's no point being fit at all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so it was sort of, even though I hadn't been extremely fit for a long time, it was just this sort of delusion that I was maintaining in my mind. And uh, and I didn't accept reality, I guess, is the main point there. Yeah. That uh, Yeah. As you mentioned, because you were struggling with what you realized was addiction, right? And that's kind of the nature of it. At the beginning, you don't realize that it's a problem. Yeah. You don't even yeah, yeah. want to admit that it is. and and you're kind of in this state of denial. So what was it that, that allowed you to break through that? Yeah, well, it's sort of a big story that led to that that realization. But I had no idea about addiction or anything. It's something that had never crossed my mind. So to, yeah. to cut the story short, basically, I, I went out one day. It was a beautiful day, much like today here in Melbourne. And I was walking by the water with my son. He was two at the time. Or he was, yeah, he'd just turned two. And basically one of those episodes where I was crying just came to me while we were out for a walk. And for the first time I did that in public where people could see me, I basically ended up sitting down on the side of the path with my two-year-old son wiping tears away, strangers walking past and my, you know, my little boy telling me not to be sad and whatever. Mm. And, and, um, yeah, that was a really intense moment for me because I, you know, I realized that hang on a second, my two-year-old boy here is doing more to look after me than I am doing for myself, you know, and that shouldn't be the way it should be. And then I realized as well that, you know, I'd been a teacher for a long time and, and I still have been, you know, a long-term teacher. And I was thinking about basically every time I'd ever had the parent-teacher nights, things always click. And parent, I always realized that this kid is the same as their parent. It's always the same. The kid, you know, as much as kids try to, as much as kids try to be different from their parent and they are different in lots of ways, yeah. the essence, you know, the, at their core, the kids are a lot like their parents. It's always the same. I've seen it year after year after year yeah. through thousands of students. And I, I thought, Oh no, my, my boy is going to, uh, is going to end up like me. Like no matter how hard I tried to be a good dad and I was putting everything into trying to be a good dad. Yeah. 
no matter how hard I try, he's going to end up like me. And that was the last thing I wanted for him, you know, to just be this fat, depressed, hopeless person. I just couldn't think of anything worse that I wanted for my boy. So I thought this has to change. I've got to do something about it. I, at that point, I tried talking to lots of different psychologists and I'd tried lots of different methods of dealing with my depression and nothing was working for me. So I thought I basically had given up on the depression side of things. So I thought, you know, maybe I can try again to lose weight. And I, you know, I tried hundreds of times to lose weight as well. And, uh, and I thought, well, I don't know. I got no idea what to do about the depression, but I'll try again to lose weight. And maybe instead of my boy growing up to be fat and depressed, he can just be depressed. At least it's something. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I did a, I did a month of really, uh, really good training and eating and I was green smoothies, salads, all this good stuff and exercising every day. And after a month I, I did really well and I decided to reward myself with one slice of pizza for dinner. And, uh, Long story short, one slice of pizza turned into a whole family size pizza plus ice cream plus soft drink. I told myself all these stories about how I would go back to uh, healthy living the next day, which never happened. I didn't get up and do my training. I didn't have my green smoothie and salad and all of that. And I was, I was really, the next day, I was really beating myself up about this binge that I'd had and how I was hopeless and how I was an idiot and all this, you know, self defeating kind of talk. And, um, and at one point, I, I went, to the fi- went to the fridge, grabbed a beer, and as I went, got back to the couch and cracked open the beer, I suddenly just hit me like a ton of bricks that I had been treating food all my life the same way that an alcoholic would treat this beer that was in my hand. That was a really big moment, and I was like, wow, I'm a, I'm a food addict. That was like, that's my problem. I'm a food addict. It's not, I'm not just a, you know, a, a fat guy who needs to just eat differently. I need to treat my addiction. And so then I started thinking about addiction and I, and I figured, you know, alcoholics, it's not easy, but it's simple. If you know what I mean, they've got to, all they have to do is just not drink. That's, there's one thing to do. They just don't drink alcohol. It's a hard thing to do, but it's a simple idea. If you know what I mean? And I thought, so if an alcoholic should quit alcohol, a heroin addict should quit heroin. Every other addiction I could think of, you know, there's a lot behind it, but the simple idea is you just quit. And I thought, isn't it a shame that a food addict can't quit food? <laughs> right. And and then I then I I thought, well, maybe I can get as close as possible. I wonder how close I could get to quitting food. I wonder if there's just one food I could eat while quitting everything else, and there thereby getting as close as possible to treating food addiction with abstinence in, in the same way as every other addiction. So. Mm-hmm. That's where I mentioned earlier that the research started. I did a lot of research, hours and hours every day for about six weeks before I settled on potatoes being the perfect choice for for doing this experiment. And yeah, the, the rest is history. <laughs> and uh, I think it's worth diving into the specifics too, because you had rules on how you were able to do it. And it wasn't just a gimmick. I think like even when I saw it the first time, I'm just like, is, is this a gimmick or is this for real? And I think like once I really looked into how you were doing it, I liked it more and more. <laughs> you know? yeah. So tell That's us about like how, and, yeah. how it looked like per meal or like every day and like the little things you allowed yourself. Yeah, well, basically my first thought of this was that I would do it for um, a, a couple of months and the idea would be that it was strictly potatoes only and that is it nothing yeah. else but uh, but 
that block of research that I did finished three days before New Year's Day, uh, 1st of January. And then the idea came to my head that, hey, if I'm starting on the 1st of January, maybe I should just go to the 1st of January and just do the whole year. And, and that sounded like a good idea, but it also sounded crazy hard and something that I, I would never be able to do since I'd never been able to stick to any diet before. So because it sounded just so insanely hard to me, I thought I'll just make it a little bit easier by allowing myself a little bit of flavor. So it was only potatoes, but I allowed myself some dried herbs and spices from time to time or some maybe some tomato sauce or ketchup, you call it in the US, maybe some barbecue sauce or something like that. But I keep all that stuff very, very minimal. It was just, you know, using that stuff enough to give it a little bit of flavor so that I wouldn't go totally insane basically doing this for a whole year. Um, But yeah, most of my meals were pretty much, you know, I'd say three quarters of my meals were just plain with no flavoring. And then I'd add a little bit of flavoring every now and then. Actually, I was going to say that was rule number one, but that was rule number two. Rule number one was to get medical supervision. I did this with supervision of a doctor. I think that's important for your listeners to note that um, I didn't expect that there would be any problems. I I did my research and I was 100% confident that everything would go go well, but I also thought, you know, this is unusual. I I better just get that insurance policy and, you know, make sure that I, I knew what was going on with my health. So I got regular medical checkups, blood tests, all of that. That was rule number one. Rule number two was eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like it and and with those flavorings. So there was no calorie restriction. There was nothing. It was not about losing weight. This was definitely not a weight loss attempt for me. It was purely about that food addiction. And if I was, if it was just about quitting other food, then I, as long as I wasn't eating other food, then there was no problem with the volume that I was eating. I could eat as much as I want as potatoes and that would still meant that I had quit everything else. So that was my only focus. Yeah. And that was really oh, rule number three. What was rule number three? <laughs> oh, maybe that was yeah, sorry. <laughs> I broke that. I've, I've made I've, I've made a mistake there. I haven't gone through these rules for a while. So rule number two was what can I eat? It was potatoes and flavors. Rule number three was to eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like it. And that was it. Very, very simple. So yeah, yeah. Keep it simple and and really try to mimic the abstinence model that an alcoholic would use as much as possible. That was what I was basing everything on. And you know, try to. Yeah. If an alcoholic gets through a day and they have not drunk alcohol, it's a success. That's the only measure. And I wanted it to be the same for me. If I get through the day and all I've eaten is potatoes, success. It's not about weight loss. It's not about anything other than just following this abstinence model and see where it leads me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even about potatoes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's not like, you know, I understand that people think like you thought, and I totally understand that people think it's a gimmick. It's just some weird guy doing something silly for 15 minutes of fame. I get that because I have probably seen lots of people doing important things, you know, for very good reasons and jump to the conclusion that it's a 15 minutes of fame, sort of silly gimmick kind of thing. I totally get it. And I get that people who think it's all about potatoes and all about weight loss, you know, that's, that's what gets attention and that's what the media wanted to focus on at the time. So I understand, but, but yeah, it was not about weight loss. It was not about potatoes. It was about treating my addiction. And, uh, and yeah, that was really the weight loss is obviously a very welcome side effect. I'm very happy that I lost the weight, but that happened as a result of dealing with my food addiction, not as a result of trying to lose weight. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really important to keep in mind, too. So how much is, <laughs> this is a weird question, <laughs> but how much weight did you did you lose and kind of ignore? Or like how quickly uh, did it happen? Yeah, it happened really quickly. I, I The first time I weighed myself 
like in the beginning, I, I didn't, this, there was no media coverage in the beginning. I was just, I was doing it on my own. And the only reason it got media coverage was because I was doing a video diary and I didn't have room to store all the videos. So I put them on YouTube thinking <laughs> no one would watch them and I, and I could yeah. go back and watch them later. That's great. And nobody did watch them. In the first month, I had like 50 total views across all of my videos for the month. And that was fine by me. I didn't care about people watching it. But then someone from the media found it and, and it blew up. But, but yeah, in that first month, I lost 10 kilos like wow. with no... I was going to say with no effort, but it wasn't with no effort. Eating only potatoes was a hard thing to do, but it, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the effort wasn't directed at weight loss. It was directed at dealing with my own issues around eating only potatoes and that sort of thing. Yeah. And you were still eating as much as you wanted to volume wise. Yeah. I was eating quite a lot. Yeah. I was eating three and a half to four kilos a day, which I, what would that be in pounds? That'd be like eight, nine pounds a day of potatoes. Wow. I was like around 3000 calories I didn't, give or take. I didn't even think yeah. about that, but yeah, you could literally look at what you're you're eating every day or every week as a sack of potatoes. Like you could, yeah. did you take pictures of all the potatoes. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I well, it wasn't. It was. I wasn't tracking how much I was eating or anything. Yeah. Like people always ask me, oh, how much should I eat exactly? How many calories? How many? I wasn't tracking it on purpose, but I knew each week how many kilos I bought. So it was easy to go. There well. This week I've bought this much. I can divide it by the days, and that's how much I've eaten. So that was the only way I knew how much I was eating. But I was just eating as much as I felt like, and that was what it turned out to be. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes it makes me wonder, really, what it would have been like to live a, a hundred or a couple hundred years ago. There were a few years when uh, you know volcanoes went off, and we didn't get as much sun, and there were famines uh, in the eighteen hundreds. And uh, so if like obviously they didn't have grocery stores back in history, right? Yeah. Um, most likely people probably would be eating nothing but potatoes for months and months and months on end when things weren't working out, when crops failed. The only difference perhaps is that they, they probably couldn't eat as much as they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I guess I hadn't thought about that thing, that point that you've just made before. But yeah, there would have been you know months where people ate only potatoes. There's The thing I talk about with is like... It, the Irish diet's the best example of it, where the Irish didn't live on only potatoes, but very close to it. They yeah. they lived on a diet for a couple of centuries where potatoes made up, you know, around 90 to 95% of their calories and probably supplemented with a little bit of um, milk or things like that yeah. or butter. But uh, but yeah, they, they got everything they needed and their population grew, which, you know, populations don't grow unless the population is healthy. And they were, you know, they were physically, they were noted at the time as being physically bigger and more attractive than their, their English counterparts. Right? And, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, their neighbors just across the border were not eating the same diet and they, yeah. they were smaller and, and they were not as healthy. So, yeah, there are examples. That's one example. But there are other examples of, uh, of, of large groups of people eating close to nothing but potatoes. And, uh, and even to this day, Sweet potatoes, which were part of my diet, there's there's uh, Papua New Guinea and Highlander tribes, which who eat almost only potatoes year round, and they they sacrifice a pig once a year, and apart from that, they eat only sweet potatoes. Wow. And uh, yeah, there's lots of examples of people thriving, not just surviving, but thriving with you know potatoes and sweet potatoes as their sole food source. And um, there are there are other examples of of tribes or of uh, groups of people around the world, and and situations like you described as well where you know we can do fine on on one type of food 
we can also do terribly on the same food if we do things to it. It's like you weren't eating French fries, I imagine, right? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that, that would have been a problem. No, I wasn't eating any kind of oils. Um, that was, yeah, that was one of my things that, you know, in that, that rule of what can I eat, uh, mm-hmm. there was, you know, what can't I eat as well. So I could include, yeah, those, those flavorings that I mentioned, but definitely no oils. I didn't have any oils at all. And I, I didn't, you know, top my potatoes with cheese and sour cream and all that kind of junk that people typically put on potatoes. It, it's just about, you know, I think from a health point of view, what you don't eat is just as important as what you yeah. do. So that's why it may seem weird at first to, to like talk about what you're doing and or, or what you've done as, as being so like great on this show, for example, because it's like to some degree, con- it seems contrary to a lot of the things that, that I talk about or teach. But in fact, I think I have so much more in common with, with your philosophy and, and what you've done than what uh, standard American diet is or, or standard yeah, you know, yeah. Western diet is. It's, it's exactly to your point. So much of health is about what you're not doing that everyone else is doing you know, and kind of taking for granted. So once, once you can really, um, focus on, on simplifying and kind of putting your shields up to the things that are hurting you, I think you, you're more than halfway there. You've got to get rid of that, that junk. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you and I are going to disagree on, on a lot of things about diet, about what's healthy and what's not, but yeah, like, it's one, it's important that we don't just go, well, you know, Abel James is an idiot or that SpudFit guy's an idiot because he says this, you know, it's not true that no. we, we are going to agree on a lot more than we're going to disagree on. And, and, um, and uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, we can talk about those things and, you know, disagree on some small parts, but whatever the, the, the biggest thing about diet is, in, is avoid, avoiding the processed crap. And we can definitely both agree on that. And you leave that out and it's going to make drastic, dramatic improvements in your health. And, and, you know, all that processed crap that most people survive on, um, that is the stuff that's causing most of your problems. And, you know, we can, uh, we can agree on that. And, you know, the last little, 10 to 20 percent is uh is stuff that maybe we disagree on but so what get the get the rest of it right first and then we can worry about you know the last little bit (laughs) exactly well the interesting thing is that the health industry especially is built on that little five ten or even one percent or whatever all those different yeah yeah which is so silly because we're looking at 75 i don't know exactly what it is but i think it's similar in, in australia where you are you know 70 75 percent of people are overweight right now you know, we can agree about that. You can just look around and see <laughs> that, right? And uh, so, so most people are eating in a way that is not working for them, right? So you kind of need to identify the things that aren't serving people, um, and and then simplify from there. I think. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think we can both agree that yeah, Australia is. First of all, Australia is a lot like America mm. in the in the obesity rates and the health rates are very very similar, and yeah, we can both agree that uh, the population didn't get fat and sick from eating plain potatoes, and they didn't get fat right. and sick from following the wild diet either. Right. You know, yeah, it's just that's not the way it happened. They got fat and sick from from eating fast food junk, like all this processed crap. Most of the stuff that you see in the supermarket. You know that's the problem. If they they didn't get fat and stick from fat and sick from sitting sticking to the produce section of the supermarket, yeah. uh, which is where you and I would go. We might go to different parts of the produce section, but we would stay there and uh, 
and you know most people don't do that so yeah, yeah that's the problem and just thinking about potatoes in general especially when you include sweet potatoes in that mix there, there really isn't much better of a starch that's available when you break it down and look at it it's like fiber water a little bit of of sugar in, in the sweet potatoes or in the regular potatoes not much and then a whole bunch of different nutrients especially in the in the skin and uh extremely filling i can't remember where i found this but i but i remember talking to richard nikolai a few years ago who was a blogger and also it came on came on my show and he was talking about eating i don't think it was only pota- potatoes but it was mostly potatoes uh, for a long time to see how much money he could save to see if he could like make some good soups that he liked and all that and uh, he was just raving on an, I, I can't remember it was like 10 bucks a week or something he called it the poppers diet and most of it was <laughs> potatoes and he said um, he lost weight his health seemed to improve and in a lot of ways he was trying to model a diet that was 100 200 years old and I thought that was so cool because you know you you look back in time then and hardly anyone struggled with weight problems. You look to now, almost everyone does. So perhaps we shouldn't be looking forward for the next silver bullet or the next new diet that's going to save everyone. Perhaps we should look back a bit and and maybe reintegrate some of those things that they were doing, maybe out of necessity back then, that allowed them to thrive and be... Not that everyone was thriving back then, of course, but like focus on the things that allowed our ancestors to thrive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like potatoes are super nutritious. So as long as you're getting enough calories, you're eating enough, you're not like trying to restrict and, and trying to lose weight. So yeah, they're, they're really amazing. And, uh, and yeah, they're absolutely a health food. And I can actually, uh, I can concur with your friend. Sorry, I've already forgotten his name that, that did the mostly potato diet. Yeah, I, uh, for, for a, Richard, yeah. For the first month, I was spending less than five Australian dollars a day, which is so, probably about that's probably like three US dollars, I guess, per day on potatoes. So, you know, it was a pretty, it was a pretty cheap diet. And yeah. actually I was, I was, I was lucky. After it broke, the media story broke at the end of the first month. And, and from then on I was sponsored, well, you know, I was sponsored with free potatoes by a, a local <laughs> uh, potato <laughs> guy. That's awesome. So, yeah. So for the rest of the year, I didn't actually even pay for my food. So wow. <laughs> that was a cheap year for me. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about um, how you transferred back to, I guess regular. I don't. Was it regular eating? How did you transfer back after that year to um, not being addicted to food anymore? Yet starting again. Yeah, yeah. So my my number one thing was uh, I had basically spent the year avoiding addictive foods. There are a lot of foods around that are addictive. Yeah. And by addictive, I mean you know there are. There are a lot of foods that we eat, which when you eat them, they will trigger pleasure centers in your brain. Right. And I call it, I call it, you'll get what's what I call a foodgasm. And uh, <laughs> I basically, uh, all the foods that would, would trigger that reaction, trigger the dopamine production in your brain is I still don't eat those. So I've still, ha- I haven't eaten chocolate in three years. I haven't wow. eaten cake or, you know, any of that. I, d- I don't touch any of that. So yeah, I eat these days what's called a whole food plant-based diet. And, you know, so I eat a lot of beans, whole grains, uh, vegetables and potatoes. You know, potatoes probably still make up two thirds to three quarters of what I eat. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, I still love potatoes. Actually, yesterday was a pretty very potato dad. Three meals yesterday and all three of them were potatoes with baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and that, that was it. Yeah. So, 
Uh, okay, very, very simply. That's not every day. That was just I have yeah. a lot of potatoes and baked beans at home, so I was just eating them. But uh, but yeah, I you know I eat a little bit of fruit. I eat you know basically I don't eat any processed foods, no processed sugar. I don't eat any oils, and I don't eat any animal products, which is the bit that you and I would disagree on. But but yeah, my diet is unprocessed whole plant foods, and uh, and basically that simple. With with a, I call it whole. The diet is known as a whole food plant-based diet. But yeah. I call it whole food potato-based. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Now, what's the mix between sweet potatoes and potatoes? And like, what about squash and stuff like that? Do you just throw that in there too? or like, yeah, hey, yeah I, You must know all the varieties of potatoes at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, basically, I do know all the varieties and I have tried them all, but mostly I just get whatever's cheapest. And uh, uh, as far as during the year, that I did it, I was eating mostly white potatoes. Maybe I would have one meal uh, every couple of days that would be sweet potatoes, but most of what I ate was white, normal white potatoes. And yeah, these days I, I still, I, I love sweet potatoes, but more of what I eat as far as my potato breakdown, more of what I eat is white potatoes than sweet potatoes. But there's no particular reason for that. It's just that I prefer it. You know, if people want to eat more sweet potatoes, that's totally fine too. There's no, there's no reason to eat one way or the other. They're both equally great. Yeah, I'm a big sweet potato fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Well, why not? They're fa- they're fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> but you're not using oils, so that's that's something that's also quite unique uh, as far as like guests I've had on the show. So yeah, I'd love to have you explain a little bit why. Okay, well, they're a highly processed food like sugar is I, I compare oil to sugar right so you, if you take a sugar cane and you you strip it of all the fiber the water content you take the protein and the carbohydrate out of it and you take nearly all of the minerals and vitamins out of it you're left with pure sugar right and everyone agrees that that's a that's a highly processed um food that's not it's not an intact food and then you go the other way you, you take a perfectly good olive you strip it of the fiber and the water content and you take away the protein and the carbohydrate and most of the vitamins and minerals, and then you're left with pure fat. And it's highly processed. It's and it's uh, it, to me, it, it makes sense that it's it's on a par with sugar. It's like they're basically both highly processed foods that are highly calorically dense. You know, there's a lot of calories in sugar and there's a lot of calories in oil, and they also both trigger that pleasure center in the brain that I was talking about that's you know it, it triggers an addictive response so yeah I avoid it for those reasons we you know and there, there are also you know there are studies about um, oil contributing to heart disease and things like that so but the main reason for me is that it's uh, I'm avoiding addictive foods and and you know oil is one of those foods that triggers pleasure centers in your brain that uh, that makes you want to eat more and more so yeah are there any uh, fruits or veggies or like f- foods that would seem like they wouldn't be addictive that do come from nature that you avoid for those reasons? Uh, well, yeah, avocado is one that I, I don't, oh, really? I don't, yeah, I don't not eat avocado, but I am, I'm wary of it. And like, you know, peanut butter, things like that, you know, that's just, I do give peanut butter to my son on toast and, and I make sure it's a high quality, you know, it's just peanuts blended and you know into a paste it's not like 
you know, full of sugar and all this other, you can, you can get good peanut butter and you can get highly processed, you know, with all the additives and stuff. So, yeah. but even that, like if I make him a piece of toast and have a bite, then I think, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that because now I want to eat seven pieces of toast. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, so yeah, high, the highly, uh, the high fatty content foods, like the, the natural foods, like nuts and avocado and coconut, things like that, the foods with high fat content, are, uh, are things that I, I don't 100% rule them out, but I, um, I'm wary of my behavior when I try some of those sorts of things. And I, most of the time I don't have it at all, but you know, every now and then I'll, I'll have a little taste and then, and think, yeah, just be careful with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, because what you're really trying to avoid is that like one pizza into eating the whole pie type scenario, right? With, with all foods. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, a piece of, um, of, yeah, something with avocado on it is fine. Um, and you know, a piece a slice, let's be honest, a slice of pizza once a month is going to be fine. If I was able to stick to that once a month, like I tried to have one slice of pizza, that's not going to ruin your health. You know, sure. if you have one slice of pizza in a month, that's almost nothing. But like you said, when it becomes a whole pizza and it becomes something you repeat every day, that's when it's a problem. And so that's why personally I can't do it. I'm not going to say I don't know you, how your relationship is with food, but I wouldn't go and say you you can't ever have um, you know a slice of pizza or an ice cream or whatever because I don't know how that's going to affect your behavior tomorrow and the next day and the next day, whether it's going to become something you do every day. Um, but for me personally and for many other food addicts out there, it's a bad idea to even flirt with it once a month because, it, you know, an alcoholic could go for a month without drinking beer and then have one beer and it quickly becomes full-blown alcoholism. So no one would tell an alcoholic that, you know, this idea of everything in moderation, nobody applies that to an alcoholic or a heroin addict or whatever. You'd be crazy if you tried to tell a, a, an alcoholic to drink alcohol in moderation. It's, it's a silly idea. Yeah. But you know, but that, that's the idea that I'm applying to food as well. And, you know, there are people that can do moderation. Of course there are, there are many of them and I'm not one and there are, yeah. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah. It's worth saying I am one, which is interesting because it comes out sometimes like when, when I'm eating together with other people, right? It's like, I can eat one or two pieces of chocolate. Um, yeah. But I see that other people cannot. And, uh, I think, I think that's so fascinating and that's why I think it's beautiful that we don't agree. Because there are, or we don't necessarily agree. I think we agree about most things, but like yeah, yeah. I, I agree in our habits about exactly how we do everything because we have different psychology and different baggage and different like things that we've been through and, and different bodies too. And I think it's really important for people who are listening on the other end to know that it's not about finding one solution. It's about like looking at all these different things and like hopefully trying one that, that, that maybe fits with you. Right, that fits with like how you see the world, how you live your life, your own health. As long as you're getting back in touch with like your own common sense, I think we're winning. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I live. My wife is is like you. She can eat one or two squares of chocolate, and you know there is chocolate in our fridge, the the top shelf of the door of our fridge. That's where the chocolate goes, and gotcha. I I just leave it there. But it's it's always there, and you know. In the past, I couldn't have left it there. There's, you know, I would have just, I would have eaten it all. So my wife would have bought chocolate for herself, eaten one or two squares, and I would have eaten the rest of the block. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then she would have had to go and buy more for herself, and you know, uh, the cycle repeats. But yeah, these days I just don't touch it. I never touch chocolate. 
the only time I've even touched chocolate in the last three years was when I got it all out of that shelf to take a photo for Instagram <laughs> to show to so that I could explain to people that this is the stuff that you know. Um, but yeah, it's there and she's an alien and can do that. And I can't, and I, and you know, I've just got to accept that reality that I'm, I'm not a moderation guy. And you know, that's, that's a big part of the battle is just accepting the reality of a situation and learning to deal with it rather than trying to, um, to fight that reality. You know, if you're not Mm -hmm. someone who can do moderation, then stop trying to do moderation. Yeah. You're you're fighting a losing battle. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think this probably translates across the pond, but I know for me and a lot of my, my male friends growing up, we had to get over something in adulthood, which is the, for some reason, it's like the more you eat publicly, the more of a man you are. Right. It's like, you've got a healthy man. appetite. You're a big man. You're like, there's this thing that's coached into us somehow by culture that I think a lot of us really, I know I had to get over that. It's like, Oh, am I eating to try to be like a bigger man? It's a really silly question to ask, but sometimes you realize that that's exactly what's happening, especially for athletes. Right. It's like the bigger appetite you have, the stronger you're going to be, the faster you're going to be. And it's such like a, it's not right, but it's, something that a lot of us have to deal with. I'd love to get your perspective on that in just a, you know, a few minutes that we have left. Yeah, that's a really good point and not something I've thought about. So thanks for bringing that up. But, but yeah, uh, back in my athlete days, you know, we'd go to, uh, let's say the Australian championships, uh, that takes a few days, there's races and stuff. And then at the end of it, there's a big party. We all get together, have a party and all the presentations happen. And there's a, there's a smorgasbord on and it, it is like a competition between athletes to see who can pile their plate the biggest, right. and who can fit in the most. And, you know, me and my friends would go to an all you can eat restaurant and literally have a competition to see who could eat the most. And <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was, it, it's crazy. It is nuts to think that, you know, somehow you're a, you're a bigger man if you can eat more. That's, that's a, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That's a really, um, <laughs> interesting thought and uh and definitely definitely something i can relate to as well and yeah i, I still do eat a lot but you know I'm, I'm six foot five and and i'm a big built guy and i still do eat a lot but yeah i, I don't i definitely don't compete with anyone anymore <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i definitely don't eat as much as i used to for sure <laughs> right on well i'm happy to hear that so we're just about out of time but before we go andrew please tell folks uh where they can find your book and what you're working on now uh, yeah, well, you can find me at uh, spudfit.com and my book, my latest book is is called Spud Fit, a whole food potato-based guide to eating and living. And uh, and it's it's all about basically potato-based recipes, not potatoes only, just uh, lots of recipes that have potatoes in them. And, uh, and I've also got another good. book, which is a, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's over 100 recipes from over 90 different friends that I asked to contribute. It's a really, I'm very, very proud of the book. And it also contains a lot of, um, a lot of advice from myself about all the things we've been talking about today. And uh, so my contribution was a lot of writing and I got a lot of friends to make the recipes because they're all much better cooks than I am. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's that. And, uh, and yeah, right now I'm, I'm just working on uh, trying to develop my, my coaching and, you know, try to help more people overcome this uh, food addiction problem that, you know, I've learned a lot in, in about it in the last couple of years, and and I'm a teacher as well. So you know, their skills translate into uh, into helping other people to to deal with these issues. So that's that's my main focus. And uh, 
you know, in what little time I have left over, I'm, I'm trying to become an athlete again. We'll see how that goes though. <laughs> I guess this. maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe with two kids now, uh, I've got to accept that I'm not going to be the athlete that I was, but I, you know, I can be, I can be something approaching that I hope. So we'll see. <laughs> I know you will. I know you will. Well, Andrew, I'm so glad we were introduced. Thanks once again, Tim. I'd love to see you again sometime. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would love to have you on the show again in, in some time to, to catch up with you and, and see how you're doing, because I think your perspective is, is so very much needed now. There are a lot of people struggling with food addiction who don't even realize it. So thanks for doing what you do. No worries. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it's been fun. And like I said, you've made me think about things in different ways than, uh, than I have before. So that's, that's always good. And yeah, thanks for doing what you do and promoting this healthy eating message. And, uh, you know, it's sorely needed. So keep up the good work. <laughs> hey there, listener. Thanks so much for listening to the very end of this episode. As a special bonus, I'm including a new original song that I made up just for you live on the spot as part of my new improv music video series. I hope you like it. You can check out hundreds of these original songs and more for free at abeljames.com. Here we go.
This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. Let me ask you something. Did you eat your veggies today? All of them. Believe it or not, fewer than 10% of adults and children in America get their recommended fruits and veggies in daily. That is absolutely atrocious. And many millions of us are suffering from disease, obesity, and ill health as a direct result. So my wife Allison and I decided to do something about it. Now you can double your intake of fruits and veggies in less than 60 seconds without the sugar or carbs. We're excited to bring you our new superfood greens powder called Future Greens to make it easy to get organic, nutrient-dense veggies in every day, no matter where you are. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Since Future Greens is preserved, you can get your greens on even when fresh produce, salads, and smoothies are far out of reach. Future Greens makes getting nutrition easy, and it tastes great if I do say so myself. Future Greens is a smart and convenient source of nutrition for disaster preparedness, road trips, camping, athletics, and more. It travels great in the car, on a plane, or in a spaceship. Just make sure you activate artificial gravity before opening. Basically, it's like vegetables from the future. So if you're looking to increase your energy and health without the crash from caffeine or sugar, meet your new best friend, Future Greens. As a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try it yourself right now. Just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off when you subscribe and save. You'll get our coolest new concoction from Wild Superfoods called Future Greens. Again, just head on over to fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off your purchase. We'll see you there. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this fat-burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat-Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far, we've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and couldn't do any of this without you, so thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com a second here just to type it in and you'll get all the show notes transcripts and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the fat burning man show for free better yet 
Enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now, along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again. Have a great week.